Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi there, and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. And today I want to talk about um, the ideas of utopianism that existed in the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin. It seems kind of contradictory to everything we should think and feel and and believe about um, the Stalinist era. Um, The popular image uh, is one of, of terror. Um, and of the uh, hardship often that I've, I've talked about in this podcast uh, of, of famine but as with any um, totalitarian regime there are the regime's supporters there are the beneficiaries from the regime the people that think that they, they are going to do well out of uh, the policies of the regime but there were also the people who looked at a much bigger ideological and historical message put across by this particular regime um, and embraced its utopianism. The uh, thing about um, many branches or or many sort of iterations of uh, modern political ideologies, um, when you look at them, uh, is their utopianism. Nazism, for all its its, uh, kind of hideousness, had at its heart a racial utopianism, but a utopianism for those of the, the, the chosen master race. For everybody else, it was going to be a pretty horrendous time. Um, if you look at some of the ideas that spring forth from the, 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 the wilder ends of um, liberal capitalism, um, the, uh, the, the, the Fukuyama uh, end of history ideas of uh, now a world dominated by democracies and markets and all the kind of basic uh, debates uh, about history having come to an end. These are entirely utopian ideas. Of course, they when they kind of have first contact with reality, they, they tend to crumble. The utopianism of Marxist-Leninism was that at some point in the future, 
throughout the struggles of socialism, at some point in the future, communism would be built, and we were in for a long period of socialist construction, um, and that communism would be the, the outcome. But it was, as Sheila Fitzpatrick calls it, an age of utopianism. Uh, and I'll, I'll read from chapter three in Everyday Stalinism, which is perhaps my favourite, Palaces on, on a Monday. She writes, This was an age of utopianism. Political leaders had utopian visions, and so did many citizens, especially the younger generation. The spirit is hard to capture in an age of scepticism, since utopianism, like revolution, is so unreasonable. How could anyone have seriously believed in a radiant future, totally different from the miserable past and the chaotic present? The problem of understanding is all the greater because of the distance between the utopian vision and the Soviet reality. It is tempting to dismiss the vision as simply deception and camouflage, especially since the utopian rhetoric actually did serve those purposes, among others, for the Soviet regime. But the vision cannot be dismissed in a study of everyday Stalinism. Not only was it a part of Stalinism, and an important one at that, but it was also a part of everyone's everyday experience in the 1930s. A Soviet citizen might believe or disbelieve in a radiant future, but could not be ignorant that one was promised. So you will find uh, from time to time, not just in the study of um, Soviet communism, but in all other different um, time frames and periods, that utopianism and a supposed kind of magical thinking, a fantasy thinking, um, uh, can uh, can occur. People who um, imagine what is to come and divorce that from the the existing realities. And the existing realities, obviously, in Stalin's Russia, are extremely harsh, even when they there were not periods of acute terror. Uh, what existed were uh, periods of, of, of hardship and hunger. The uh, period of the five-year plans, uh, the first five-year plan particularly, saw living standards decline to a point that hadn't been seen since the, the Russian Civil War. So the utopianism of the 1930s um, was partly um, trans- due to increases in um, developments in technology. Um, and partly due to the process of industrialization, um, Stalin envisaged really that uh, socialism would be almost a war on the natural world, and that the natural world would be tamed, conquered, and perfected uh, into the process of building socialism. Um, the vision, as Sheila Fitzpatrick puts it, had very little specificity when it came to social relations and structures. Um, so the uh, the vision was uh, nice rhetoric, but it was extremely generalised. The the glorious future had very little um, fine detail in it, so that people could know what they were going to actually be getting. Um, she writes, reading through the journal um, Maxim Gorky founded to publicise Soviet transformative feats called Our Achievements. The vision comes across as an almost imperial one, focused on mastery of geographical space and the natural environment, and a civilising mission towards the backward inhabitants of the Soviet Union. Broad is my native land, uh, says the uh, famous first line of the Soviet national anthem, 
This was not just a description or a boast, but an assertion of core values, bigness. The, um, the, the Bolsheviks of the immediate revolutionary period, uh, Lenin, Trotsky, Sverdlov, Stalin, uh, and people of that ilk, looked upon much of Russia as something to be tamed. Um, the peasants who they had little time for um, and had almost, in some cases, an obsessive hatred of were barbarians. These were people who were not at the level of being considered full Soviet citizens. Um, these were people who would need to be transformed in some way. Collectivization in uh, Lenin and Stalin's thinking offered that process of um, creating a regimented and industrialised countryside that would be more efficient and uh, create the basis of a socialist society through bigger grain yields and bigger harvests, hopefully. But um, the the chaos of the countryside, the backwardness of the countryside, the superstition of the countryside, um, made uh, Lenin highly suspicious of the, of the peasantry. In his view, what a peasant represented was a, a, an, an agent of the old order, um, and the old order was deep within their thinking. And they, these would be a people that would be, you know, uh, whether they liked it or not, modernised in some way. Look at the map of Russia, Lenin once said. North of Vologda, southeast of Saratov, south of Orenburg and Omsk, and north of Tomsk, stretch boundless spaces in which dozens of large cultured states could fit. And in these spaces, what reigns is patriarchalism, semi-barbarity and real barbarity. So Lenin, in some ways, saw the potential of uh, the vast spaces of the Soviet Union, uh, rather like Hitler did. Hitler looked to create a racial utopia, and Lenin thought that a, a social utopia could be created in there, and this barbarity could be swept away. Um, the famines he and Stalin and Hitler created in the Soviet Union um, have some some interesting connections with slightly different motivations. One of the things that unites uh, utopian thinkers and utopian ideologies is the idea that the the benefits of the future will justify the costs of the present. So in the future the suffering that individuals will ex uh, will be relieved from, and the perfection of societies in the future will justify suffering in the present. So Lenin and Stalin chose who would have to make the sacrifices in order to build utopias in in the distance. The fact that those utopias there was never a kind of an arrival date on them made uh, the entire argument. Uh, even more shaky than it already was. The key to transformation for um, the Bolsheviks and later the Stalinists was industrialization. Industrialization would do a number of things. Firstly, it would create the uh, industrial base to defend the country, it would create the wealth of the country, but it would create the right kinds of people as well. As factories grew and wages from factories were better than those working on the land, 
that peasants would be sucked into towns and cities and the process of industrialization and education would transform them into uh, modern Soviet citizens, um, the proletariat, and it was to the workers that the uh, that Stalin uh, and his contemporaries looked to create a, a basis of support. The um, both Lenin and Stalin believed that it was very unlikely that the peasants would support the party in the long run because the peasants were infused with these petty bourgeois ideals about land ownership and uh, private wealth and they understood nothing of the revolution and nothing of the kind of the sacrifice and selflessness it would create it would require to help build uh, a socialist society so they were they were never going to be the natural constituency of um, Bolshevik or Stalinist support um, Sheila Fitzpatrick uh, quotes the time has come to take all the riches of the country into our hands, an editorialist proclaimed. The time has come to construct our fatherland anew with the hands of machines, to dress the whole country from Archangel to Tashkent, from Leningrad to Vladivostok, in the iron arm of industrial giants, to weave the whole country into a network of electrical power lines. Only by bringing modern industry to those boundless spaces could their inhabitants be rescued from the colonialist oppression of the Tsarist days uh, and offered de facto as opposed to mere de jure equality in the Russian heartland? That's a really important significant, and significant uh, difference, de facto and de jure uh, equality. Um, one can uh, announce that people have equal rights all day long, but if you're not matching that with practical improvements in living standards in people's lives, then there is no uh, no equality. The generation who um, were born after the uh, revolution, or who were small children at the time of the revolution, who grew up in the 1930s, had an experience that probably people here in the 21st century will not easily relate to. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm unlikely to experience themselves um, and might find kind of slightly alien. But it was the idea that together they were participating in the building of history, in sort of historical construction itself. If you look at the founding ideas of Marxist-Leninism, if you look at, look at Marx's theory, which suggests that, perhaps kind of unconsciously almost, for, for most of human history we've been going through this process of class struggle, and now when we're into socialism, that's when we build communism and we reach the end, the end of history, the kind of historical, eschatological end point. Well, to be aware of that suddenly gives you the option of choosing to participate in it or not, and to be own part of the outcome. And this, to many Soviet citizens, was a terrifically exciting proposition, that, they, that their lives would be um, geared towards building socialism, and uh, that they were consciously, along with the state, constructing the future in their own, their own little ways. Most people, in fact nearly all people, have no experience of this in their day-to-day lives and, and view would probably most people today would view this as a kind of a, a strange and an alien uh, practice. So the generation that grew up after um, Lenin and grew up into Stalinism um, believed in their hearts um, that they were there to, to make make the, 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 the scientifically advanced technological future into reality. Many of the memoirs about the period, um, including those who were those written in, in exile, um, talk about optimism, idealism, and normally among uh, young people, particularly among the Soviet young pioneers. Um, and the belief that um, the those involved were part of a, a process of historic transformation, um, the building of socialism, and the uh, idea that they were kind of pushing back frontiers of of the possible. And for those who were uh, involved in this, to some extent, they were right. They were building uh, the, the the future, and the state actively wanted to involve them in this process. The state actively wanted to con- to consider that this was what they should be doing. Um, the idea of being a pioneer uh, was Im- immensely popular. The uh, uh, younger element of the, the, the Komsomol youth movement were the, the young pioneers. Uh, but um, in Soviet literature, in magazines and novels and stories and cartoons... There are constant tales of um, pioneers going, and particularly pilots uh, and Arctic explorers 
going to the limits of civilized society and going beyond that, in deep into the wildernesses of uh, the Soviet Union and taming the land. Once again, we come back to this idea, this Stalinist idea of being uh, there being a, a war really to uh, conquer nature, um, and the terrific levels of environmental vandalism and pollution uh, that went with it were perhaps only only realised to the rest of the world by about the nineteen seventies. Um, people, by and large, in who participated in in this um, process of historic construction were uh, either oblivious to or um, they were able to mitigate or able to justify terror. But they certainly, to them, Stalinist terror was not the key feature of, of the period. Uh, and those that had uh, fallen victim to it had in some way deserved their fate for being counter-revolutionaries. So Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, Terror was not part of this picture. Alexei Adjubi, um, son-in-law of Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev, an editor of Izvestia, uh, was a schoolboy in 1937. He recalled, The only thing that existed for, that, uh, for us that year was Spain, the fight with the fascists, Spanish caps, blue with red edging on the visor, uh, came into fashion, and also big berets, which were tilted at a rakish angle for boys and girls, uh, of that time. The world was divided only into whites and reds. It didn't even come to our heads uh, to think uh, which side we were on. It was that red world in which the polar explorers, um, the Chelyuskinites, who were rescuers of a team stranded in the Arctic in 1934, um, and the Papapinites, um, uh, Ivan Papapin uh, was a, a record-breaking aviator, lived and accomplished their heroic feats. So what he's saying there is this spirit of the pioneer, this spirit of pushing back boundaries and frontiers, um, and it was an entirely, in his view, uh, in in the view of um, the uh, Stalin, um, uh, the Stalin generation, an entirely sort of egalitarian uh, pursuit. Uh, people of uh, the lowest social backgrounds um, were now, uh, or the, those that would have been the lowest social backgrounds under the previous regime, were now able to fully participate uh, in this kind of uh, pioneering activity. That all was what socialism to them was. And anything that was the, the antithesis of that, i.e. Uh, Spanish fascism, uh, needed to be fought and struggled against and, and defeated, and that was just absolute perfect perfect logical sense and Sheila Fitzpatrick also um, quotes uh, Risa Olova who was a, uh, a dissident uh, though a contemporary of Adjube's um, and she rem- remembered her youth in the 1930s saying I had an unshakable faith that my existence between these odd wall these old walls in an apartment on Gorky Street was merely a preparation for life. Life, properly speaking, would begin in a new and sparkling White House. There I would do exercises in the morning. There the ideal order would exist, and all my heroic achievements would commence. The majority of my contemporaries shared the same kind of rough, 
provisional slapdash way of life. Faster, faster towards the great goal, and there everything would begin in a genuine sense. It was po both possible and necessary to alter everything, the streets, the houses, the cities, the social order, human souls. And it was not all that difficult. For the unselfish enthusiasts um, would outline the plan on paper. Then they would tear down the old, saying, all the while, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Uh, then the ground would be cleared, and the rubble of the edifice, of, social, of the socialist phalanx, would be um, erected in the space that had been cleared. Uh, so, there we have it. There we have a real snapshot uh, of the ideas of... Um, of beginnings, of new starts, of um, of utopias being formed, the uh, all over saying that everything um, was a kind of uh, a prelude to the the real event, which was going to be this this white house she would live in. It's kind of a metaphor for for perfection, um, and that uh, there would be those who were unselfish, those who were selfless would help construct this new world. Now, I've talked a lot in the past about the fellow traveller movement, the um, European and mainly American intellectuals who were not communists themselves, but were sympathetic towards communism, looking at it as being a, a positive thing in Russia, although perhaps not something they wanted to bring home for their own societies. And you can see how, by visiting Russia, they experienced this infectious enthusiasm. These are the people they spoke to. These are the people they interacted with. These are the people who articulated to them. In all sincerity, the the dream world that Stalinism uh, presented, and these are the people who were the advocates for that world, who articulated it to uh, a Western audience. Um, who were uh, easily easily taken in by it. Um, and we're going to return to this topic. There's um, an awful lot to say about utopianism in the Soviet Union, so we're going to kind of work our way through it. Um, and the next thing we're going to look at is the plans to rebuild Moscow and the development of the uh, the Moscow Underground, which, if you've never been there, is truly an awesome sight to behold. But we'll stop there. Um, thanks very much for listening, everybody. And um, I'll hopefully get another podcast out before Christmas. Um, and uh, have a good one. Try not to uh, try not to stress in the, uh, the upcoming festivities. And we'll catch you soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.